than usual. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. It's progress, and I'll take it. Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. I see you, Andrew. Come on. Hey, um, why don't you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? Uh, we're going to read a portion of Scripture out of there this morning. It'll be our key text. For today's message, why don't we go ahead and put it up? We'll go ahead and read it. Starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and the Lord will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's our text for this morning. Um, we're starting here because this morning is the first Sunday of Advent. There are four Sundays in Advent, and we're, we're beginning right here. And uh, some of you who maybe grew up in more traditional church, or maybe you grew up in liturgical church, you know about Advent. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that word is. Uh, Advent is, is a, a portion of the church calendar that's celebrated all around the world. And in its Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming. So it's a time when the entire church around the world begins to slow down and focus in on the coming of the Lord Jesus. And they do so by beginning to look at the gospel texts, particularly those which are about Jesus being born. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to look at the gospel texts. The next few weeks are a time for us to soak ourselves again in Matthew and in Luke especially, but even, even in John, like John's prologue, to begin to soak ourselves in the gospel and allow that to be, to be the inspiration for having our heart and our mind focused on the coming of Jesus. Now, the other thing I want you to know about Advent is this. It's not simply a season to look at the coming of Jesus as a historical fact, though we're going to do that. It's not just a time to look back and say, Jesus, as a historical fact, came, and that was awesome. Praise the Lord. It's more than that. The story of Jesus being born to a virgin, this, this entire crazy story, all of this provides the context for us to be able to look forward to Jesus coming again. So the message of Advent is, very simply, He has come, He is here, and He will come again. And so it's a time for the whole church. And one of the things I love about Advent is it's one of the times in the year when the entire church, not just this, year, not just this church, but the entire church all around the world is beginning to look at the historical fact. He has come. He is here. And He will come again. And by the way, Jesus, when He first came, He came in humility and He came in frailty. He came as a little tiny baby who if his mother hadn't taken care of him, he would have died. But when he comes again, he will come in power. And so we look forward to it. Amen? 
But for the moment, anyway, we wait. For the moment, we wait. And by the way, waiting is a huge part of the Christmas season. The truth is, waiting is a huge part of life with God. I don't know if you've figured that out or realized that yet, but waiting is a huge part of your life with God. Anybody recognize that? There's an aspect of waiting. Not only that, maybe you've realized this. Waiting is just a huge part of life. Every single person in the room has experienced this. We've all waited at the doctor's office, right? That miserable room with all the other sick people sitting close to one another, coughing on each other. And you, so you sit there and you wait for your name to be called. You wait for your deliverance. Waiting to see the doctor so that you can be well again. Not only that, but maybe some of us in the room have experienced this. How many of you have ever gone to a popular restaurant and waited in line? You walk up and you talk to the snotty hostess. And by the way, the hostess is always snotty. Like you would think that at a restaurant, the first person you meet would be the friendliest person. But that's not how it happens. The first person you meet at restaurants, especially busy restaurants, is the most unfriendly person. He or she is usually pretty sour about you being there. You get the feeling sometimes when you go to these places that your presence has bummed them out. Never mind the fact that if I don't come, you don't have a job. And so you get a buzzer. And then an hour and ten minutes into a 45-minute wait, your buzzer finally goes off. And then you get seated. And then you wait. Other people next to you invariably get seated before you. People who came in after you. Not only that, but they get their food before you do. And it's easy to notice because you're waiting. And then since it's Christmas time, certainly all of us in the room remember being kids in the agony of waiting for Christmas morning in the presence. Every single TV commercial, a prophetic foretaste of what might be. And if you grew up poor, then those TV commercials and those images were images of what should be declarations of injustice. As a kid, I could never decide which was worse, seeing the presents wrapped beneath the tree or not seeing the presents wrapped beneath the tree, knowing that the presents are in my mom's closet. <laughs> Available. <laughs> Alone. Or maybe in the attic. In the summertime evaporated, in the summertime, time evaporated like the sweat off of our brows, but in December, time stood still, frozen like the Alaskan tundra. And the thing I want you to see this morning, the thing that's tucked into the text that we just read in Luke, 
is that people are waiting. And one of the things that we don't often see in the text, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the things that our American lives actually keep us from seeing, because we've been raised in such a un-Jewish fashion, which is normal, we're from Kentucky. But one of the things you need to understand is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, all of Israel was waiting. They had a, they had a certain expectation They were expecting that the Messiah would finally arrive and would free them from Roman oppression. After all, this land, the ground that they were walking on was the ground that was promised to their father, Abraham, by God. And I want to read some scriptures to you this morning because these scriptures are just a handful of, of many scriptures that we could read this morning that sort of give us the mindset and provide the context for the heart posture that people had right when Jesus was born. Let's look at Genesis. We read this early this morning. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God to the serpent. And between you, your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a messianic prophecy. Everyone in Israel knew that right at the beginning in Genesis, that God was already beginning to promise to raise up a Messiah who would forever do away with Israel, would forever do away with evil. And everyone in Israel knew it, and they were waiting. And then further in Genesis chapter 12, this is the call of Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your father's country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a promise that Israel would be a nation and would be a nation that brings blessing to every other nation. And then in verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and made another promise. He said, to your offspring, I will give this land that you stand on. It's the land of the Canaanites. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. It's the promise that God would give him a land, not an ethereal place, Not an ethereal kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom, but a physical place, a home, a land. And then in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, In the last days, the Lord says, The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and nations will stream to it. This is a promise that the nations would come come to Jerusalem, that they might experience the presence of God. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a very famous Christmas passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in Malachi chapter 5, not only would God send a ruler and send a son, but he would send it from a particular place, but you, Bethlehem, whatever that word is, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so everyone in Israel had this expectation that God was going to finally do away with evil, that a hill would crush the serpent. Everyone in Israel at this time knew that God was going to, was expecting that God was going to come and he was going to fulfill the promises made to their father Abraham that this land would be 
their land, that it wouldn't be the Romans' land. It wouldn't be the place where we worship, but we're worshiping while other people are ruling us. And during the time before Jesus came, people had an expectation that God was going to send a Messiah and that he, they even knew where he would come from, that he would come from Bethlehem. And so there was this sense of waiting, but there was a sense of expectation. And one of the things you need to be sure this morning, before we get into our text, the thing you need to understand right off the bat is as sure as a sick person waits for a doctor and just as a hungry person waits for a meal and a child for Christmas presents, so were these people, the people of Israel, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for God to deliver on all His promises. And just as Mary was pregnant, so were the people pregnant, all awaiting God to come and do the things that only He could do. Win a victory over evil. Make Israel into a nation again, rather than a scattered memory. To establish the royal boundaries. To make Jerusalem the mountain of the nation. To raise up a leader, specifically a leader from Bethlehem. You could almost hear the heart cry if you got really, really quiet, even if a word wasn't spoken. The people were asking God, How long? How long are we going to wait? How long are we going to live like this? How long until you fulfill all your promises? You've made us so many promises, God. How long are you going to wait? And in the middle of it all, in the middle of the waiting, the expectations, the pregnant heir, there was a pregnant girl, probably only 15 or 16, still a virgin, utterly inexperienced. And on a completely average day, probably a Monday. She had an angelic encounter with Gabriel, one of the three archangels, one of the two that remained. And Gabriel steps out of heaven into Mary's room and he says, Mary, greetings. You're highly favored scares her to death and he says you're going to have a son even though you haven't had sex you're going to have a boy his name is Jesus he's going to deliver his people from sins his kingdom will never end one of the things I'm sure of as I've reflected on this story this week is that in the moments after Mary had this angelic encounter I'm absolutely positive she had no clue what it meant. She had an idea. The heir was pregnant. People were expecting Messiah. But I'm not entirely sure that she had any full grasp on what God was saying or doing to her and through her in the moment. But in the coming weeks and months, as her belly grew, Mary would have become awake to the reality that God had indeed done something to her, not simply spoken a word. But he had altered her life forever. And by the way, every time God speaks a word to you, it's a life-altering moment. Every time God speaks a word to you, you become pregnant with a reality which you can't see and you're not quite able to understand. It's one of the reasons around here we love the prophetic. 
We love the scriptures, but we also love the prophetic because we know that when a person has the word of the Lord spoken over them, just like Gabriel to Mary is the realm of the spirit and it can touch a heart and you can become pregnant with something that you neither understand nor have the capacity to carry in the moment. And we love that. God's never spoken a word to anyone here which was impotent. And so as Mary's belly expanded, so did her expectations. Number one, because she knew she was a virgin. Sort of an obvious part of the story. It's one that's easy to overlook. God had spoken a word to her. Her belly begins to grow. And one of the things you can be sure is that as Mary's belly grew, so did the expectations in her own heart. Because whether anyone else believed it or not, she absolutely positively knew that she was a virgin. Something had indeed happened. Imagine the scoffing. Imagine the scandal. Imagine being 15 years old, going to your father and mother, saying, Mom, Dad, I've got news. I'm pregnant. Don't be upset. I didn't have sex. God did it to me. Sometimes in the processes of the Lord, it actually does you no good to tell the truth. Sometimes telling the truth in the processes of the Lord only increases the scandal, the scoffing, and the second guessing. Imagine that the only answer you're left with is that God did it to me. Dang. But imagine the wonder of carrying something. Imagine the wonder of first carrying a word that somewhere along the line became a fetus and began to grow in her belly. Imagine the wonder of somewhere around three and a half, four months feeling something flutter on the inside. Imagine somewhere around the four or five months, your belly getting too big for the dresses that your mother had made you. Imagine not understanding at all what had happened or really been spoken to you at the beginning. A fantastic promise. But imagine somewhere along the lines, somewhere halfway through the pregnancy, that your belly gets so big and the flutters become so regular that you realize this is not some sort of metaphoric word of the Lord. This is real. And so somewhere in there, Mary's expectations began to grow. She began to remember the angel's words. He will be great. His kingdom will never end. And it moved out of the metaphoric category into the real category. Whoever this is in my belly is real. His kingdom will never end. He will be great. And imagine the excitement that would begin to grow. Imagine the division in her own soul as her mother and her father most likely didn't believe her. And imagine as her belly grew, she began to become excited because something on the inside was giving witness to the word of the Lord that the angel had spoken to her. And whether anyone else in the whole world, Joseph included, believed her or cared, she was getting excited. I believe this. I believe that somewhere along the lines, Mary's expectations and excitement and grew. And imagine getting excited and having no one to share it with. 
Imagine the waiting. God is on the move. Something is growing. People are talking. And by the way, the talk isn't good. Imagine the waiting. And I'm sure somewhere along the line, Mary began to thought, began to think, well, maybe this baby, because it's a special baby, because it's a God baby, because an angel visited me. Maybe when this baby's born, he'll be born with angel wings and there'll be a, a golden sash tied around him. Maybe the umbilical cord will be made of gold. Maybe there'll be some sort of sign. Maybe, maybe he'll never cry. Maybe, maybe there'll be something. And then the baby's born and there's no wings, no sash, no golden umbilical cord, just a baby born in a barn. And then she began to think, well, maybe he'll be a superhero toddler. And then my parents will talk to me again and people in town won't think I'm a whore who's blaming it on God. And then Jesus turns too. And he's just a wobbly, walking, fussy two-year-old because he's getting teeth. And he cries all the time. Imagine the waiting. Imagine having, a pre- imagine having a promise from the Lord that took nine months to deliver, but 30 years to materialize. Imagine having a word from the Lord. Jesus didn't do anything. And so even after he's a toddler, Mary's got to wait 28 more years before Jesus begins to reveal his power. And when he does, he does it at a wedding. And no one knows except his mother and the head chef. Imagine the waiting. See, life and life with God has waiting built into it. Waiting is the fabric of human existence. It's woven into life with God. And even now, my own wife and I, we are waiting. She is pregnant with number four. And on Tuesday, we go to get an ultrasound. An ultrasound that will tell us with scientific confirmation that everything is happy and healthy in that fetus. Everything in that uterus is a sloshing, swimming success. And not only that, but with any luck, we'll find out whether this little person is a girl or a boy. My wife has been waiting with great expectation for the past month. She's excited to know. I hear about it every day. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that there is a reason to all this waiting. There must be because it's such an unavoidable part of life. Three things this morning. Number one, waiting reveals our expectations. There's a reason... They call pregnant women expecting. Waiting reveals our hopes and it reveals our expectations. Waiting exposes where we have placed our trust and when it comes to God and His promises and His work in our lives, we can expect Him to come through. Just like a mother who is eight weeks pregnant knows that soon enough a long-awaited son or daughter will arrive 
And one of the things I want to tell you, church, is this. Christian hope and Christian expectation does not exist in the realm of wishes. Rather, it exists in the realm of patient expectation, knowing that God is never late and He will come through right on time, just like a pregnant belly will give way to a son or a daughter. And so we wait for Christ and we wait for His kingdom to come in their fullness, not just as a wish, but as a certain fact. It's part of the Advent story. We wait for the resurrected Son of God to appear yet again in bodily form, not as a wish, but as a certain fact. And for that reason, let every person in here rejoice and let every person in here tremble. As the prophets say in the Old Testament, it will be the great and the terrible day of the Lord. Number two. The waiting allows God to grow us and His promise. With the promise of the Lord, there is a need for, inc- for increased capacity. Mary needed a bigger belly. Abraham needed a bigger family. Gideon needed a bigger courage. And there is a never in the kingdom of heaven, there is never a time of inactivity only times of preparation. Some of us need to hear this this morning. In the kingdom of heaven, there's never a time of inactivity. There's only a time of preparation. When God gives you a promise, there will be a season of waiting, and the season of waiting is so that He can increase your capacity to carry what He wants to give you. In the kingdom of heaven, there's never a time of inactivity. God never turns His back on any of His children. God never delays in any of His promises, He allows for seasons of preparation. So whatever feels like a delay is actually from the Lord. Grace and mercy, it's time that you might make preparation for what He wants to deliver in your life. There are only times where the work of the Spirit is hidden. It is subterranean and it is completely ignorable. One of the reasons that most people... uh, One of the reasons that most people get discouraged in the Lord is because so much of what the Lord is doing in people is hidden, subterranean, and completely ignorable if you want to. You can actually ignore the work of the Lord. The beginning beginning of Jesus' life was a tiny fetus that Mary was not even able to perceive, yet her body knew. The beginning of a work of the Lord in your life is a seed that gets sown into ground. And when a seed gets sown into ground, it gets covered up. And you could have a field that's planted. You could have a field that's completely sown with seed. And you can walk out into the field. And if you're cynical in heart, you can say, nothing is happening here. Yet there are billions of seeds underneath beginning to put out shoots and roots. And silently beginning to feed on the soil and draw nutrients from places that no one can see and everyone's ignoring. It's the hidden work of the kingdom. Waiting allows God to grow and develop something in you that you might be able to have a capacity to hold what it is He wants to grow in you. And so the waiting is a time of hiddenness. The waiting is a time of preparation. And the waiting is a time of confusion and misunderstanding. Every single time God makes you a promise, there will be a time of hiddenness. There will be a time of waiting. There will be a time of of confusion, and there will be a time of misunderstanding. Count on it. Mary 
is impregnated by the Spirit, a most unexpected intersection with God. And the only thing she can tell her mom is, Mom, I'm pregnant and I've never had sex. Imagine the misunderstanding and the confusion in the household. There will always be a time of hiddenness. There will always be a time of subterranean activity. There will always be a time in the Spirit where you can ignore it if you want to. It actually requires you to become quieter. There will always be a time of confusion and misunderstanding. But this is the soil that the promise gets rooted in. So church, the question is, has God spoken to you? And has He promised you anything? You should reflect upon your life. Has God spoken to you? Has He promised you anything? Has there been a delay? One of the things I want to come and tell you this morning is that He has not forgotten you. You should not give up. He is growing your capacity to hold and carry and deliver His Word over your life. And the reason He's doing that is because He loves you and because He loves His Word. It would be a shame to deliver into your life a promise you do not have capacity to carry, both ruining you and the Word. God is not a foolish God. He is quite wise. And number three, the waiting allows for the consummation of delight, everything in its proper time. Like a young couple in love and on fire, but waiting until marriage to consummate full delight. You see, couples who do not wait, who eat the fruit of love unripe, they end up with sour bellies, filled with guilt and shame and possible unwanted pregnancies. A hungry man who barges into the kitchen and eats the meal early dishonors the chef, misses the possibility of complex flavors, and runs the risk of becoming ill by taking in salmonella. Young wine will get you drunk, but aged mature wine can open your eyes and your nose and even your ears to a place that you've never been before, an actual physical place on the earth. Young wine will get you drunk, but aged wine is a vision of harmony and symphony. And if you've never drank a fine aged wine, take it from someone who has, me. And let me assure you that there is a difference. Part of the waiting is a part of the plan of God because it allows you to consummate the joy. It it allows for the fullness of joy that's packed into the promise of God to be experienced, developed, enjoyed, where it brings no harm. In a real... In a really fine aged wine, you can smell the earth that it was grown in. You you can smell the place that it came from. It opens up realms of experience. that are unattainable any other way. And so the word of the Lord this morning is very simple. He's the perfect father.
He is the glorious promise maker who delivers on every promise. He is the master chef and he is the master vintner. All his dealings are good. He may delay, but he is never late. He has you in mind the entire process. And so church, as Israel waited for their Messiah, we will wait. And as Mary waited for her baby to be born and then for her son to be revealed, we will wait. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? I want to pray for you.